Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Where do we start? The Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 305, a.k.a. I Wish, is brought to you by ARN Vacuum Seal Bags, perfect for storing and preserving clothes, bedding, body parts. Such a versatile product, Pete. Uh, Here we are, by the way, counting down less than a week to when Spider-Man Homecoming comes out. And uh, certainly should be, well, hopefully a fantastic movie, but also interesting in terms of the very rare Tuesday opening for a film. So what does that do to box office? Are we looking at a Tuesday through Sunday take? How big is it? What's going on with Spidey? What's going on post-Endgame? Mysteries abound. We will be running a little giveaway with our Marvel movie podcast for uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. So be sure that you get in on those details. With that, it's time for some surveillance. Let's see what the episode was all about. The episode is written by Jay Holtham, story editor for Jessica Jones and also this past season of Cloak and Dagger, and directed by Marzi Almas, who directed a season two episode, a.k.a. Soul Survivor, along with episodes of Supergirl, Arrow, iZombie, etc. Knock, knock on Jessica's door. It's Trish ready to start, and she's brought up to speed about Salinger. Jessica notes that Salinger is holding every card. They're going to stake him out to get him the right way. They go to his apartment from across the way, Jessica bristling at the notion that Trish knows anything about investigations. Jess covers the rear exit, but it's Trish who sees he's home. Cut to Salinger in a bathroom slash old-timey paper photograph development darkroom. He practices human emotions in the mirror. He meticulously cleans the apartment and quits a job via text. He signs the text Bart, notes he's done with work for good. He carries out two large suitcases and disappears onto the streets. Sans suitcases, perhaps he's home. He's got a hidden album, and Trish Hellcat jumps down for a face-to-face with Jess. Salinger leaves for a walk, so Trish will sneak in while Jess tails him. That's the plan anyway, but the power goes out. Trish enters the dark apartment, finding the album. It has a close-up of faces. Trish snaps pics all over the apartment. Jess trails him while he reads the paper and watches a pimp take money from a streetwalker. She also sees Eric arrive, saying hi, perhaps, to Salinger. Eric gives the pimp money and takes the girl inside a hotel. Jessica follows, and the lady, Barry, is Eric's sister. According to Eric, the conversation with Salinger was a threatening one on both sides. With Jerry, Kiff is filled with grief, having learned that husband Professor Peter has been stealing from their late daughter's memorial fund. Jerry's a shoulder to cry on. We know she leaked the info to begin with. Knock, knock on Jerry's door, and it's Professor Peter blaming Jerry. There's lots of yelling, ending with Jerry saying that he should be out of prison in six years. Later, Jerry sees a video made by the professor. He names Jerry as having led the charge to protect superpowered people. Turns out he's recording the video from the bathtub in which he slit his wrists. He loses consciousness and was later found dead. Jerry races home, 
Kith isn't there, though via phone, Jerry gets told to stay away. Jessica returns to her office, upset that Jillian and Trish are working together. Malcolm at home reflects on his recent work acts. He decides it's time to use some vacation time and deletes his videos of the professor. Malcolm updates Zaya to taking time off. Knock knock at Malcolm's door. It's Jess, the bag of bloody money, and Eric and Barry in tow. He'll take the protection job. Later he talks to Zaya, who assures him he didn't really have much to do with this. In his living room, Barry's having a fit over missing earrings. She's also jonesing for a fix, and her pimp is there to take her to work. Malcolm gets a punch in the face. Back in Jessica's office, the missing person's database lines up to Salinger's victims. Seems like he's a serial killer, but they can't call the NYPD. Trish wants to go beat up Salinger, despite Jess thinking otherwise. Jillian suggests they work it out. They do. Trish doesn't feel like an equal, despite Jess feeling like Trish had been wrong about killing Jessica's mother last season. Later, Jess is drunk and Eric's out of the shower, shirtless. What happens, happens. Later, he's pretty sure he made her, you know, happy. They spitball about how Salinger got rid of eight bodies. Chopping could be the answer, and Salinger's handsaw was gone, then back again. Jessica's off for more staking out, but he can leave a burger. Jess and Trish talk clues, including the possibility that Salinger is putting body parts in vacuum seal bags. Maybe it's time for Trish to use her contact Mori at the morgue. Later, in Salinger's apartment, a hand in a vacuum seal bag pops in through an open window. Does he know that hand? He spies Jess across the street and calls 911. Police arrive and question Jessica about loitering. Salinger leaves out the back, hand in uh, hand. Trish is tailing him. Trish and Jess meet up. And Trish doesn't need that flashlight she can see in the dark. Is Salinger hiding the bodies in abandoned tanker cars? Jess looks in as Trish follows Salinger. Jess crawls into the tank. Hasn't she seen scary movies? This is the spot, body parts there, but she trips a wire. The hatch closes and a powder falls down. Coughing, she tries to punch her way out. Trish hears it and is set to take out Salinger, but goes to save her friend. Trish wishes she didn't kill Jessica's mom. The police arrive, and Trish slinks away. The episode ends with Eric arriving home, bottle in hand, attacked by Salinger. Eric is slowly choked into unconsciousness. What suspects draw our focus in this episode? Pete, let's start with Gregory Salinger himself. Yeah, keeping apparently trophy photos of his serial kills uh, on top of cutting them up and placing them in a tank. Although I'm not quite sure the uh, the tank down at the tracks wasn't solely engineered as a trap and not a hidey hole. But uh, yeah, mysteries abound about the motives of Salinger. I have to say, I appreciate that they're presenting him as a serial killer. I would have been more than fine if some of the initial flavor of his introduction in terms of I am superior, I'm, you know, I am angry man, angry male. If this was kind of an exploration of that, that, that kind of slice of life, I would have been fine with it as a dramatic presentation. But, you know, crazy serial killer, that works too for our 
you know, third season of a private eye show. The quintessential bad guy, as we're told in this episode. Pete, is Jerry Hogarth a bad gal? I mean, we know she's not always on the up and up, but how much villainy do you give to her based on the death of Professor Peter? I mean, it it was self-inflicted. It was a suicide. Uh, She did not make him do it. Um, But I think she shares and I think she feels a certain amount of guilt had she to do this over again probably would have gone in a different direction and it seems to have lost her kith one would hope that we get the opportunity to hear from jerry as to her thoughts on guilt here um obviously it did not happen in this episode whether it's a conversation with kith from whom jerry is withholding you know a certain amount of uh, facts and whatnot, whether it is with Malcolm from which Jerry is withholding a large amount of facts, you know, I don't know how that could happen. Jerry being such a, such a closed off person, she certainly is not going to have a monologue. Uh, Maybe, maybe there'll be a journal entry and a voiceover, Pete. I don't know, but (laughs) Pete, certainly a big price paid by professor Peter here still, you know, did these terrible things in terms of stealing from the memorial fund. I'm not saying, you know, therefore that equates he should take his own life, but definitely still deserving to be on the suspect list. He takes um, responsibility for his actions, but he takes Jerry and her firm down with him. And he, the legal scholar who's been looking into this, It's almost more akin to a manifesto than it is, hey, this person is in the wrong. I did find it interesting that Kith, and perhaps the episode, but Kith assigns blame to her late husband, kind of 100% of the blame for this open marriage thing, uh, when... Look, I I have no doubt that probably Professor Peter was out there doing the act with more people than Kith was in, in the open marriage. But both, in, you know, in terms of what we saw, both were kind of equally stupping others. And I don't know that he deserves all the blame for introducing the open marriage and them mutually accepting it and both of them acting in that open marriage. I mean, how could you not have thought it wouldn't end badly? This badly? Probably not, but uh, she she accepts that she accepted it um, when she's speaking with uh, Jerry in her apartment. So, uh, yeah. Pete, we end our suspect list with Gore, the uh, pimp. I, I don't know that there's a nicer way to say it than that, but that's what he is as he, you know, muscles these girls for which uh, he oversees uh, it's a very uncomfortable situation, but uh, dude knows how to throw a punch. I know that much. Hurting women, uh, trafficking women, dealing in women. Uh, this dude is bad all around. Just hope he gets his comeuppance. Pete, a great observation there in terms of the trafficking. Uh, the episode, of course, written by Jay Holfham, who is uh, was the story editor for this season and the story editor for uh, the most recent season of Cloak and Dagger and wrote two of those episodes. So certainly some narrative thread there between this uh, this important and weighty topic. 
And if you have not already gotten into Cloak and Dagger, you can listen to both seasons one and two on FantasticGeek.com and on iTunes. Cryptology, where we uncover hidden messages and larger themes. Pete, I think we certainly have touched on one here, one of the the issue of trafficking. I don't know that we're going to spend a ton more time. Certainly, like I wouldn't say the rest of the season will be about exploring this topic, but surely Gore and Barry and Malcolm's failed ability to protect the latter that will all circle back soon. Yeah, I can't imagine that thread's not going to be followed up upon, especially that uh, Barry is family, is the sister of Eric. Pete, is it R.I.P. Eric? I mean, he's such a likable guy. Has the show set him up to break our hearts? I think that was, and and we've covered in Salinger's background, that he's a wrestler. There might have been some pro wrestling in there. It seemed like the sleeper hole that he put on him. What theories are on your radar, are in your theory notebook? Whose blood is on the money that uh, they received as a blackmail payment and have now given to Malcolm? And why are they maybe not, like, trying to test it? I kind of assumed that it was the blood of um, Slit Throat Guy, as seen at the end of, uh, I suppose it was the last episode, where... You know, Salinger's deadly tricks are revealed for the first time. Um, it, it is interesting that there's this bag o money that Malcolm takes that we don't see. Kind of, does it go into Malcolm's safe? Here he has a stranger in the house, uh, even before there's the sense that Barry is jonesing for a fix. Certainly, given her volatile nature and other choices she's made in life, not exactly the kind of person you want to leave you know, around thousands of dollars of cash, bloody or otherwise. So, you know, is this a story football that got hidden and disappeared? Will it circle back? I don't know. Certainly in this episode, it disappears. For the first time ever in this episode, we definitively hear from Trish that her powers do not include super strength. Um, which is interesting because I think there was a lot of assumption that she was powered on some kind of level. So that begs us to question what are her TV powers, uh, agility, reflex, uh, the ability to see lighter at night. I know you called it cat vision once before. Um, yeah, I was a little surprised she doesn't have some form of enhanced strength. I mean, when I jump off a building and land, I know I'm protected because of some form of strength, right? <laughs> um, I think the episode does a very good job in the background of kind of really, I was going to say hammering home, but it's not hammered home. They just kind of quietly establish these powers. And Pete, I always return to when we're talking about superpowers, I always return to the notion of kryptonite, that if your character is too powerful, you need something to to unpower them. I think we saw that for a couple of episodes with the knife attack with Jessica and that kind of slowing her down. I think here, too, with Trish, they're clearly defining a certain skill set that can still keep her in danger if necessary, that can keep her... 
that can keep the combination of the two ladies not so powerful that they can't, you know, be stopped by that falling steel girder. Oh, the two of them can catch it. No, only one can catch it. The other would be squished, that kind of thing. And I think that it's the story leaving open options, probably options that have already been thought out and, and you know, kind of penciled as they're working their way through these scripts. But it's that flexibility to say, we don't want to have two Jessica Joneses because two people punching out of an oil tanker, that's easy. One person, eh, you need a different kind of help, etc. What's up with Salinger in his mobile dark room? He starts talking to himself. You're right. I lied. I never tried. Please. And then he presumably sends a text on behalf of Bart that believed to be the deceased person at the end of the previous episode. What's going on with him? And are we going to get a um, a Daredevil season three black and white episode where he uh, has recorded tapes with a therapist? <laughs> well, I don't think we're going to get tapes with a therapist. I think that he in the mirror, I think that he was replaying some of Bart's final words. To me, it kind of was this sickly sampling of a type of humanity that, that Salinger does not have access to. You know, he's kind of this detached serial killer monster. And, you know, I think that it was, wow, I, you know, with my magnifying glass, I, I made it hotter and hotter and look how the ant danced. This is, hey, with my knife, I made this guy say things. What what must it be like to feel such emotions? What must it be like to to say such things? Let me try it out. Uh, okay, didn't quite feel the same as me. Uh, I, I find Salinger, I mean, obviously he's a despicable person. I find him to be one of the more scary Marvel Netflix villains. Uh, I find him to be, it's such an interesting choice that he is cerebral, whereas, you know, it's not that, you know, I'm Kingpin and I have unseen power because of my money, because of fear, because of all these other people. Oh, plus I'm strong. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Kingpin is an amazing villain, but for Salinger to be this kind of wimpy looking guy that you wouldn't, you wouldn't give him a second look walking down the street with two suitcases. But here he is, this really, really compelling villain. Um, what about the dead brother died in an accident, of course, and the settlement that he received is what he's doing in the mirror there at all related to that i think time will tell that might have been a bit of story i won't quite say hand waving but kind of like hey here's why he's able to be out doing all this all the time because he can have a law decree a degree and a chemical degree etc cetera, etc cetera, but not need to work any one job because magic story money in the background that was certainly how i took it for this episode if it's revealed in a later episode oh it's because he killed his brother it was his first kill okay i will totally buy that um but i think certainly for the time being it's just kind of it's a way to explain his means without working for it how exactly does peter know jerry is behind uh what he calls the expose about uh what he was doing with his late daughter's scholarship fund Eh, i mean i think 
the answer I want to give for this very, very solid, very compelling episode in a very solid and compelling season is because story. And usually when I lob that, it's for, for very weak reasons. You know, he has his suspicions. He's angry. He is following those convictions. We know they happen to be correct. You know, the average person who sees uh, a recording of that live stream where he takes his life, first of all, maybe don't watch that because it's horrific. You know, person living in the MCU who's sitting there like sharing the video, but I digress. Um, I think most people aren't going to say, oh, therefore she clearly is, she clearly did this because look, deathbed confessional of a man who's distraught and a thief and took his own life. Again, I think it's, you know, he, ha- he he lobs this at her. He happens to be correct. Is there going to be a ton of story fallout from it? Eh, I don't know that Jerry can't bounce back from this professionally in an episode or two. So Malcolm's laptop was open with the feed from Peter's office uh, when he came to it and he's looking around and Zaya is not there. She's at work or elsewhere. And then later they have a conversation and she's like, oh, you know, did you have something to do with it? So did she not see anything or did she see anything? I think the laptop was open because we needed to see what he was looking at. Uh, and I think, too, this was... Again, I don't want to throw stones at this story, at this script, at this writer, because it's all very solid. I just think that we can see writer Jay Holtham's intent in that moment, or perhaps the director's intent. But we're in this Malcolm arc here. We are into the middle third of Malcolm's arc, which is, wait, maybe the ends don't justify the means. Maybe digging up dirt for the wrong reasons, that's not the way to slog through for a year then make a you know while making a bunch of money then getting a great recommendation and being being a proper kind of pi on my own it was open because we needed to see that familiar spot and then delete all the videos delete all the videos i think that scene was more about malcolm saying i need to leave this behind particularly with the gravity of the situation here this of course an episode where because of that snooping the marriage is broken up scandal is made public and Peter's life taken by himself. We do not live or record in New York. We're a couple of uh, Jersey guys who go up to the city when we can. Uh, But we often point out a lot of the locations that stand in for Hell's Kitchen and points around it are actually in Brooklyn, uh, more adjacent to sound stages, etc., But uh, something I picked up, Matt didn't even pick up in this episode till I pointed it out to him, is that they filmed right down the street from the Jacob K. Javits Center where New York Comic Con, something we attend every year, goes on. You can actually see it in the background of the shot on an overpass there where Salinger and Eric Gore and uh, Gore's stable uh, all congregated. Yeah, it's nice to see them using different parts of the city. I feel like for much of kind of Daredevil, particularly Iron Fist, although this probably applies, this certainly applies to Luke Cage and Jessica Jones as well, like anytime they needed the warehouse district, it would be like, 
oh look if you ha- you know if you happen to know your new york geography at all oh look there's the skyline here's a bunch of warehouses they're in queens maybe brooklyn but they're they're in queens uh oh look iron fist is going to more warehouses it's it's queens not far from where you know season one daredevil was beating up turk barrett mamma jamma etc so it's really really nice to see instances like this where they're in manhattan where they're legitimately in hell's kitchen i don't know if that particular spot was within the bounds of hell's kitchen but darned if it isn't you know right around the the corner from where it's hell's kitchen proper um I don't know. You can just you can tell a difference if you've if you've walked the streets of New York. You can tell a difference, um, and I know I I always have fun looking up these little places. If you could see, you know, specific, you know, like Duke's Dry Cleaners or things like that, just to to, to spot them. And Pete, I don't know how I missed this one, but good job catching it. How about Eric's level three Malcolm headache? A curious twist, to be sure. Uh, let me start with this, Pete. Three out of ten, not that bad. Not serial killer. Not gore. Um, is it? Is it maybe an opportunity for Jessica to know that Malcolm is up to no good? Is that the story purpose? Okay, maybe, but not for nothing. Malcolm, as a PI for the Hogarth firm, they are a defense attorney you know, operation. Uh, of course, it's people who are accused of bad things, some of which have done bad things. That's the nature of working for a defense attorney or needing a defense attorney. Again, it could be set up for later or it could be like, you know, maybe somebody in the writer's room said, oh, you know, Mal- Malcolm's not great, especially with all this recent stuff. He would pick up something. We need to include that in there. To me, it feels like a little bit of a of a square peg in an episode of Round Holes. Do they do something with it in the future? I feel like maybe no, so that means probably yes. Especially since he stands up for Barry and takes the punch for uh, you know trying to defend her from Gore. Seemed a little incongruous that we would judge him as you know that Eric would judge him as somebody dangerous. Um, and of course, Jessica vouching for him. So it feels like unfinished business there. I was a little surprised by the rules of TV. I was surprised that he got the the one punch to the face and kind of was, you know, was felled by it. I know he didn't pass out, but, you know, again, somebody like Gore punched me in the face. All right, I'm probably going down and I'm probably on that floor longer than Malcolm was. Uh, I, I'm, I, I'm nowhere near as fit as Malcolm. I'll cop to that. But... Again, this is like TV. One punch to the face and he's just down and like, oh, 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 versus like, you know, get up there and go save the woman you're meant to protect who, you know, Jessica has come and said this person needs protecting because there's bad guys out there. He did suffer an internal injury in a car accident earlier in the season, Matt. So who knows physically where Malcolm is at. Speaking of... um this this longer time frame um salinger these eight victims over 10 years this dude's been at this for a while and in a way that suggests um kind of a a methodical nature to it i mean i know we've seen in the kill and the cleanup and whatnot there's a method to it but whatever this darkness is 
in him that drives him to to kill it's not you know the killing spree it's not i killed last night i must kill again it's this kind of very kind of purposeful uh series of killings over time which again i think adds to the strength of the villain it's not oh who you know who is the who's the butcher of hell's kitchen it's this the fact that this guy is is among us walking among us not looking particularly suspicious i mean my goodness you look at all those diplomas looking particularly uh you know to to be lauded in a series of uh different disciplines again that just adds to the power of his villainy i do have to call out one scene in particular in this episode matt when Zaya goes in to see Jerry in her office, hey, did you see this video? You know, the one where your girlfriend's husband kills himself. I will show you the whole video and then I will deliver the news that he's dead. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to take dings out of this episode here. What's the main purpose there? The main purpose is for Jerry to see it in an expedited fashion and to see the whole thing. You're absolutely right that in the real world, Hey, Jerry, there's a, there's a video going around that mentions you. Have you heard of it? No. Okay. Well, I need you to sit down. This is going to blah, 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 blah. The thought you that bring the, real the world... news first. He took his life here. You should watch the video. He yeah. Said something about you. So, in, I mean, it's in, in his dying words. Yeah. Again, you can see the, you know, why, why is the why? The why is that we need to experience it fresh, same as Jerry does. It's just, you know, real world and story world in this case are slightly out of sync. We get a reference. We don't see him and we get uh, some residue of our buddy Morg Mori, presumably giving the hand to Trish and Jess. <laughs> You know, Pete, we've joked, you know, is there going to be the larger connection? Is Salinger actually working for the hand, capital H? <laughs> Here we have, you know, Salinger talking to the hand, lowercase h. I don't think we're going to see Stick or anybody else showing up anytime soon. Um, but, yeah, good use of kind of your your story ammunition in terms of the return off screen of Maury. I, I wonder, is that one of those situations where... Do you script a Maury scene and then decide to cut it for cost, for time? Do you film it, then cut it for time? Do you see if the actor's available, and if they're not, go, eh, we can just deal with it off screen? Is the whole thing off screen the entire time? I don't know, but that's kind of the... Those are the things I like to think about in terms of how a writing room puts a show together. I get it that Peter would attempt to indict uh, Jerry's practice, but... The words of a guy who uh, made mistakes of his own suddenly leading to such an exodus from her firm, it seems like you say story not really thought out. Pete, do I buy that clients can be fickle and that this might short term chase people away? Yeah, that I buy. Long term, though, again, you know, defense attorney people that whether they're innocent or guilty people that you know are totally unconnected from trouble are not ever going to need her so I, at, at the end of the day do i believe that this video would have the impact 
that the show says it does. Eh, I mean, not really. You know, if you want to say it's the next day, all hands on ship, the phones are ringing, people are leaving short term. Okay, fine. Guess what? Every defense attorney firm is perpetually, you know, they're perpetually a week away from being out of business because when this week's clients are dealt with, and I know obviously some cases go on, but when this week's set of clients, you're done with them, if you don't have replacement clients, you're out of business. That's true for the lowest defense attorney to the highest high. So, eh, I, I guess I mostly buy what the episode is giving in this regard, question mark. What was the tanker rigged with? Was that designed for Jessica? Was it to get rid of the evidence was this all for show i think that it was not designed for jessica i think that it was not designed for show i think that in that you know i am smarter than you i am planning 10 steps ahead mentality that salinger has this appears to be the place where he has been putting body parts um maybe on the the medium term let's say you know like i don't know how long a vacuum sealed body part lasts but um if this is his setup let's say for this kill if this is his setup recently in the last year or two to have a booby trap in there where if somebody does the wrong thing uh this powder now falls uh and the the lid closes shut incapacitating the person so be it i think too whatever that powder is i kind of read it as beyond the the smoke that's making her cough you know, it's going to help dissolve the body parts or it's acid powder or something like that so that if you do come across this a day later, a week later, all right, there's one more body in there. Oh, man, somebody must have fallen in to this noxious mix of goo and there's some weird plastic bags, but but the evidence is gone. Beyond uh, knowing there's a connection between the uh, masked assailant um, and Jessica uh, Salinger now knows that there's another person out there. He doesn't know it's Trish, but knows there's another person and knows that she cares about Jessica. He does. And yes, he does not know it's Trish. It'll be interesting to see how, how does the story test him and his supposed intellect not even supposed i buy him that he's this you know super intelligent person again great spin on the villain that he's mentally smart and physically kind of average um how long will it take him to figure out that it's trish who will believe him uh i mean you know former this former that former the other now really well liked arn host i think there's tons of story potential there for him to him to start to figure that out it to place jeopardy on her you get to bring the mother back in uh i think that's where it's headed now the question is how fastly do they how quickly do they go for that what is salinger's plan with eric i hope it's not to chop him up to little bits and pieces because i really dig eric as a character i i know that they shot this season they started shooting this season having no idea as to the bloodbath for Marvel Netflix. They sure as heck finished the season knowing that shows were being canceled. And if you know, if you're gonna cancel Iron Fist and Daredevil, prob and Luke Cage, probably Punisher is gonna get canceled, you know, and Jessica Jones as well. So 
if that were again, I don't know where they're at in the, I don't know where they're that where they're at with that knowledge in the filming of this episode. So if Eric can make it towards the end of the season, I would love it if broken, dark, and twisty Jessica is able to walk into the sunset with broken, dark, and twisty Eric. A little happy ending there as we almost certainly say goodbye to these characters uh played by these actors for the last time that's my hope pete my hope is that he makes it if he makes it through the next episode i'll feel a whole lot better well we don't need to hope to make it through every season matt when we have the protectors of patreon behind us indeed pete the people who go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek they are our superheroes copywritten marvel comics and dc comics uh, they help make sure that the interwebs are always fed our old podcasts, our new podcasts, keeping things sustainable, keeping things ongoing. And for that, we are so appreciative. Now let's check our mail drop. Here's what you have to say. Pete, this message, I must admit, not directed to us, but a tweet from Kristen Ritter herself. Uh, responding to uh, apparently the rumor that she has said that she would not play Jessica Jones again. She says unequivocally on Twitter, I would play JJ again in a heartbeat. She's the coolest character ever, and I love her. Hey, you never know what the future holds. As for now, I'm so proud of the long run and deep character work I got to do. It's been a dream, and never say never. So, Pete, some optimism there. I know that we tend to be pretty pessimistic as to the notion that Hulu or Disney Plus will swoop in tomorrow and order 50 episodes a piece of all these series. But I think she, at the end of the day, she's right. Never say never. Yeah. And I'm really hopeful at some point, maybe in a special limited series, we could get them all back, our defenders, at one point and, uh, you know, kind of tie up some loose strings. Just a reminder that as best as we can tell, as best as is reported in, you know, Hollywood circles and whatnot, it seems that Netflix has exclusivity over these characters in their TV form for multiple years moving forward from the cancellation date of each. Uh, that might even include exclusivity over uh, developing new shows, so the ability to say, oh, let's make Jessica Jones season four now, but only release it uh, you know, in two years' time. Even that might not be possible uh, currently. Could it change? Sure, but you know, not a great, not a great outlook for the future as audience uh, tastes change and actors get older and whatnot. But I mean, we live in the age of the reboot, Pete. Never say never, Pete. No one can ever say never to not not tweet at you. How can people be in touch with you? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Peter P I E T E R J K L A R K E T E L A A R ten thousand. 542 followers can't be wrong and while i'm personally on twitter is looking back lost do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com check us out on twitter instagram <laughs> gmail where we are fantastic geek as well but wait pete there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek with the ph all one word like it today well, Pete, for those listening on the Jessica Jones podcast feed, we'll be back on Sunday to talk the next episode, that of course being episode 306. Uh, if you're listening on the Pop Culture podcast feed, might have some more goodies for you this week, but certainly uh, we have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to talk about on Saturday, that of course after watching it and live tweeting it on Friday. 
and uh, more Jessica Jones uh, as the weekend progresses. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Good tagline. <laughs>